Today's scripture comes from John 12, 20 through 28a, Pew Bible, page 899, and following Jesus Bible, page 1156. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you have little ones, first grade and under, who uh, would like to go to children's worship, where we have a children's sermon from this text written for their age group, they can line up now with Miss Brittany and Miss Savannah, and they will head across the way to our children and youth discipleship building. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Oh, I've got to do 22. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Don't miss the novelty of those three verses. Some Greeks asked Philip to arrange a meeting with Jesus. Maybe they heard Philip speaking in Greek, being from Bethsaida. He may have been a Greek speaker. Regardless, for whatever reason, they approached Philip. Philip goes to Andrew. We don't know why. This is is how you know you're reading a historical text. You get these details that may have no relevance except it happened. Philip went to Andrew, and together they go to Jesus. When was the last time a Greek person showed up in Scripture. As a 21st century reader, you might think, ah, Greek, Roman, Samaritan, they're all the same to me, but they're not. And in this gospel, we've seen the Samaritans approach Jesus. We've seen Romans approach Jesus. But now we have a Greek person approaching Jesus. This means something. Because Jesus didn't come to earth to preach to Greeks. No. To whom and for whom did he come? Matthew 15, Jesus said this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus' message was supposed to spread to the ends of the earth. Yes, to Greeks and Romans and everybody, but not through him. He was to invest the message in the Jewish people and particularly in his disciples so that through them it would spread to the ends of the earth. Was this not the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12? 
that through his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so Jesus comes to the offspring of Abraham to spread the message through them. And so when the Greeks show up, Jesus realizes it's over. His public preaching ministry to to Israel is complete. And in today's sermon and over the next few weeks, we're going to see Jesus concluding his public ministry to the people of Israel. But as Jesus has this realization, as the Greeks come to him, what does Jesus say? Look at verse 22. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come, Jesus says, for the Son of Man to be glorified. And of course, if you've read the Gospels before, you know the Son of Man is a phrase that Jesus often uses self-referentially. He, he talks about himself as the Son of Man. So Jesus is functionally saying, the time for me to be glorified is here. It's now. But he's not saying, well, now I'm going to have a special preaching engagement for the Greeks, and that's going to be a moment of great glory for me. No, And he's not talking about some new chapter in his ministry where he's going to leave the lost sheep of Israel behind and go to the whole world. No. His statement is closer to a prophecy from Daniel chapter 7 about the Son of Man. And what does that text say, if you remember? Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man means he, he, he looks like a human being. He looks like a son of a human, right? A guy. There came one like, like a person. And he came to the ancient of days, to God himself, and was presented before him. And to him, this human being, the son of man, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorifying, he's telling his disciples, hey, you remember that old prophecy in Daniel 7? It's being fulfilled now. That prophecy that said a human being will appear before God and receive glory and rulership over the entire earth? It's happening now. And who is this king, this human being who would appear before God and receive glory and dominion and a throne? It's Jesus. Jesus is king of all the universe. Jesus is saying his ministry to the Jews is coming to a close And soon he is going to appear before God and he's going to be given glory and dominion and authority over all the earth. Jesus will be glorified. But it's interesting if you jump all the way to the end of the the passage where we stopped in verse 28. How does it end? Look at verse 28. He says, Father, glorify your name. Put it together. Philip and Andrew approached Jesus about these Greek inquirers. Jesus says, it's time. The Son of Man is about to be glorified. And then he concludes by saying, Father, glorify your name. It's no accident that Jesus starts by talking about his glory. 
And he ends by talking about the Father's glory. Why? Well, when God the Son is glorified, God the Father is also glorified. This theme is echoed over and over and over and over in the Gospel of John. But what does it matter that the Father is glorified when the Son is glorified? Of what relevance is the glory of God to your life? Well, let me give you a truth. Kids, this is true about you. Grown-ups, this is true about you too. God made you for his glory. Why did God make human beings at all? He didn't need us. He's self-sufficient. He has no need of us. And, And more than that, why did he make you specifically? You're not an accident. If God didn't want you here, you wouldn't be here. So why did he make you individually? And why did he make us? Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God created humanity, male and female, in his image. We did a whole sermon series last year on the image of God, if you'd like to go back and and listen to it. But in short, human beings, including you specifically, you were created to live out God's character and God's purposes on the earth. You exist to reflect and represent God everywhere you go. You, You exist to look like God. So look at your life. Are you like God? Are you like God in the way you interact with your family, your friends and coworkers? Are you like God in the way you think, plan, speak, and act? You see, that's humanity's problem. We were made in the image of God to live like God, to love like God, but we haven't been like God. Instead, thinking of ourselves as God's, We've been quite unlike him, and that's the problem of sin. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We were made to reflect the glory of God in our lifestyles, but we don't. We've not fulfilled the purpose we were made for. Why is it that every human being, every human being has this deep longing for meaning and purpose and this sense that I'm not being the person I'm supposed to be? It's because we're not living out the glory of God. But Jesus succeeded where we have not. As God in human flesh, he lived out the glory of, of the glorious character of God perfectly. He was and is not only the perfect image of God, as Colossians 1 tells us, but he was also the perfect human. So Jesus glorified the Father. In everything he did, he did it as God the Father would because he is God. So when people looked at Jesus' character, when they saw Jesus' deeds, what did they see? They saw the Father's character and deeds. And that's what it means to glorify God, to live life in a way that demonstrates the beauty and holiness and goodness of God. In short, the life of Jesus models the life that we were made for. So do you want to live life as it was meant to be lived? Do you want to live out the purpose for which God made you? Then look at Jesus and embody his life in your life. You were made for the glory of God. Jesus lived out the glory of God, so look at his life as a benchmark for your own. But Jesus is not simply an example to follow. 
Because you can't live out the glory of God on your own. You cannot be like Jesus on your own. Well, why not if that's what we were made for? Because sin has broken us. We cannot be what we were made to be. Our sin makes it impossible. So the gospel message is not look at Jesus and be like him. If you just try your best to be like Jesus, you'll be fine in eternity. That is not the gospel. No, the message of the gospel is much more revolutionary than that. And we see it so powerfully expressed in what Jesus says here in our text. So, verses 23 through 28 are like an oyster. The technical term is it has a chiastic structure, but I think only three or four of you probably have ever heard that before. But the oyster imagery will do just fine. What it means is this. As you open the text, you find a pearl right here in the middle. In the center of the text, you find something beautiful and glorious. But that pearl is there because of what surrounds it. And if you spread it apart and you start to look at it, you find that it mirrors one another on either side. So as you look at the beginning, and we already saw this, right? He starts with saying, the Son of Man is about to be glorified. Father, glorify your name. Those two end parts mirror each other, don't they? And as we go in step by step by step to the heart of the text, we're going to see the text reflecting itself as you get deeper into that oyster shell. So we're going to, we're going to look at it that way. We're going to look at the beginning and the end, which we just did, and then we're going to look at the next section the next section until we get to the pearl. So we've already seen that these two parts parallel each other. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and Father, glorify your name. What does this parallel show us? Jesus realizes that he's about to be glorified. And so what does he do? He prays to the Father and asks him to glorify his name. Every time the Son is glorified, the Father is glorified. Why? Because the Father's character and deeds are shown in everything that the Son does. Now let's take one step inward toward the pearl. Let's look at our next two sections. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. But in verse 27, Jesus says this, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So what do these two parallel statements communicate? Jesus knows that his glorifying hour will soon come, that the Father will soon be glorified. But how? How is Jesus going to be glorified and thereby glorify the Father through his death and through the effects of his death? Jesus' death will be like planting a seed. A kernel of grain will fall into the ground, but up from his death will spring lots and lots of fruit, a harvest. But verse 27 shows that Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's talking about dying. He's troubled by the thought of his death. We don't get the Garden of Gethsemane scene in the Gospel of John. This verse is almost like John's Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus knows why he's dying. Why is he dying? It's going to bear fruit. And so he says, for this purpose I've come to this hour. But what's the fruit? What is the fruit that is going to grow as a result of Jesus' death? Let's take one step inward toward the pearl. Verse 25, he says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And in verse 26, 
second half of the verse, it says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So let's review the oyster as we go through it. Sorry you missed the oyster illustration. You can ask me later. Jesus will die, and it will bear much fruit. And in so doing, he and his Father will be glorified. But what is the fruit that springs up with such abundance because Jesus dies? He tells us in these two verses, disciples who serve him. This is why Jesus died, so that you would be set free from the sin that keeps you from being what you're supposed to be, that you'll be set free to live the life you were made for, to glorify God. Let's reread the verses again. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Don't miss how radical these two verses are. What does Jesus say? Whoever loves his life loses it. You could translate this clause, whoever loves his life is losing it. If your life on this earth is valuable to you, if your enjoyment of life on this planet is something you seek to grasp and hold on to, the more you cling to it, the more it will slip like sand through your fingers. Whoever loves his life is losing it. Therefore... Don't live for the things of the world. Don't live your life for money and success and pleasure and reputation. If you do, you'll lose your life. You'll lose it all. You can't keep it. Well, if I don't live for those things, what do I live for? Jesus. We serve him. And if you serve Jesus with your whole life, you're also serving the Father. And God the Father will honor you. You hear that? That's craziness. God the Father will honor you. In fact, you'll have eternal life. How ironic. If you love life in this world, it'll slowly turn to dust. But if you hate life in this world, because you so value the things of God, then you get life. And none of this is possible without the work of the cross. Unless you trust Jesus and have been saved by him, unless he is all of your hope, you will never value the things of Christ above the things of the world. You'll never choose against your flesh and against the momentum of the world. He has to set us free from our sin to be able to think in these ways and act in these ways, to be able to serve the Son. Well, we're getting closer to the pearl. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To glorify his Father through his own glorification. And how would he do it? How would Jesus be glorified and thus glorify his Father? By snatching human beings out of the world and out of the world's way of thinking to bring them back to their created purpose so that we would live for the glory of God. To live not for the things of the world, but to live for the things of heaven and then to live forever. That's Jesus' glory. You. The work of his cross in you. Redeeming you and filling you with the glory of God and empowering you to live as Christ to the nations. Well, now we come to the pearl. And what is the pearl that we find hidden away by Jesus in this powerful paragraph? We see at the beginning of verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
And where I am, there will my servant be also. That's it. That's the pearl. What's so surprising and beautiful and important about this verse? Think about it. Where is Jesus about to go in a matter of days? In less than a week, he's going to the cross. Eventually, he's going to go to heaven. And eventually, he'll come back to reign. And so Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. So what does it mean to live for God's glory? What does it mean to live out the image of God? What does it mean to live your life with the purpose that you were made for? We think we know what it means to glorify God. We think we know what it means to follow Jesus. But do we? Do we understand what it means to glorify God? The Father. Do we fully grasp what it means to serve the Son? Jesus tells us with no illusions what the real call is and what the real cost is. And what's the call? What's the cost? If you want to serve and follow Jesus, you got to be with him. You got to be prepared to join Jesus. So the life of Jesus models and demonstrates the life that you are made for. And so if you believe the gospel, If you believe that Jesus died and was raised again to restore you to God's design for your life, then God is calling you to live a life like Jesus. So you need to be prepared to join Jesus first in his life mission to pursue the glory of God in everything you do. We saw this last week in Deuteronomy 6. We see it again. Jesus wants your whole life. That's why he came to purchase you out of the world, to bring you into his train of captives, to make your whole life all about the glory of God through the exaltation of the Son. The purpose of Jesus' life is now the purpose of your life. So if you want to serve and follow Jesus, you must be prepared to join Jesus in his life mission of glorifying the Father. So Christian, ask yourself the question, what are you living for? The glory of God were lesser things. If you want to serve and follow Jesus, we have to be prepared to follow him in his life mission, to join him in his life mission. But also, we need to be prepared to join him in his desire, namely his desire to save sinners through the power of his cross. Jesus died alone on the cross. You see that in verse 24. It kind of stands out. Uh, to me. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains what? Alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Why did Jesus die alone? So that he would bear much fruit. So that many sinners would become disciples who would serve him and spread the glory of God through the gospel. In the context of this chapter, his disciples would reach the Greeks. Not Jesus. He never goes to talk to them. They ask for an appointment. Jesus says, no, not my job. It's the job of my disciples. They're the ones who are called to reach them. I'm convinced that there is no desire closer to the heart of God than his desire to save sinners and to make them into disciples to win people who will spread the glory of God even further. Have you ever thought about the remarkable miracle that happens anytime a human being says, Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord. He is Lord. I believe God raised him from the dead and I'm going to live for him. 
Do you know what a miracle that is? When that happens, when those words are uttered from that person's mouth, that glorification of the Father through the Son by the brand new Christian, it rings throughout all creation, even to heaven itself. And that glorification of the Son pleases the Father. And when you, Christian, continue to say, Jesus is Lord, he is all my hope, the glory of God rings forth. What does Jesus want more than anything? Why did he come to the earth? What desire drove him to the cross? The glory of the Father. And what was the means of that glory saving sinners who would go tell others how beautiful and wonderful and powerful our God is? Lives restored to the image of God who help others to be restored to the image of God. Do you have that same burning passion above all others? If you want to serve Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, you need to be where he is. And where is he? What's he doing? He's seeking to save the lost. But maybe you're not an evangelist. Okay, fine. Uh, I think I'm the only pastor in this room, too. Okay, fine. I'm not telling you to be an evangelist. That's not what you're called to be. I'm not telling you to be a pastor. That's what you're not called to be. But do you have any love for your neighbor? Do you have any ounce of compassion or pity on your unbelieving children? Do you love your extended family, your friends? And more than all those, do you love the glory of God? And do you desire the spread of his glory? If you do, you will be set ablaze with a desire for sinners to be saved so that you can't help but get involved however it makes sense for you to get involved. So maybe that means you pray and pray and pray for the lost to be saved. Maybe you love them as best you can. And yes, you even sometimes speak the good news of God, the glory of God to unbelievers. You invite them to believe. Oh, that our passion for the glory of God And our love for neighbor would urge us toward this desire of Jesus. If you want to serve and follow Jesus, you have to be prepared to join Jesus in his desire to save sinners. But there's more. If you want to serve and follow Jesus, you have to be ready to join Jesus in his priorities. Namely, abandoning the pursuits of this world for the pursuits of eternity. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul. What, what shall a man give in return for his soul? Does that notion mean that we need to forsake all pleasures of life in this world? Maybe. How afraid are you of losing these things? How afraid are you of losing these things the world has told you that you need, like the security of money, the the promise of joy through leisure, the the admiration and approval of men, women, boys, and girls, the importance of power and prestige and position. If we live for those things, even if we get them, we get our reward. We get what we worked for. This life, its pleasures, and nothing more. But what does Jesus say? Look at verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. To serve and follow Jesus is to lay down your life, to be willing to give up anything and everything that gets in the way of God's glory and God's kingdom purposes. And so what that means is we as Christians have to hold absolutely everything loosely in our hands so that we can do everything in our power. We give up anything and everything if the gain is the glory of God. We abandon the pursuits of this world for the pursuits of eternity. And what does that mean? If we want to serve and follow Jesus, you have to be prepared to join Jesus in his life, in his death, and in his eternity. We join him in his life, his death, and his eternity. So what does Jesus say? What's the pearl of the text again? The beginning of verse 26, where he says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. This is an invitation to every one of you to join Jesus to be where he is, to live a life like his, to die a death like his, and to spend eternity with him. So the question is, what are we living for? Whom are we serving? If we want to serve and follow Jesus, we have to be prepared to join Jesus in his life mission to glorify the Father, in his desire to save sinners, In his eternal priorities over earthly priorities, we have to be willing even to join him in his cross. We have to be prepared to join Jesus in his life, death, and his eternity. We use this phrase, following Jesus, all the time. It's not a cliche to describe Christianity. Living for Jesus is not something we we do by being nice to a stranger and think, I did it! I lived for Jesus today. I did a nice thing. Service to Jesus is not a once or twice a week commitment. No, serving and following Jesus means having your life purchased out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his light. It means serving Jesus in everything. It means molding our lives, our relationships, our decisions according to the values and example of Jesus. And in so doing, we find much more than eternal life. We see the smile of God in the face of Jesus. And so I invite you, I challenge you, serve and follow Jesus. Join him in everything. Let's pray. God, the call to follow Jesus and the cost of following Jesus is too great for any of us but it's not too great for you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would call each of us into repentance, where we need to repent, and hope, where we need to hope. Jesus, you said that your burden is easy, your yoke light. So through the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would shape our desires, our priorities, to be more in line with with yours, Lord Jesus, so that we would join you in all of life, that we would be willing to give up anything and everything for the glory of God through the saving of sinners. Thank you, Lord, for this.
powerful word from John 12. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would help each of us to chew on it and apply it uh, to our hearts. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.